Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with more live podcasting action, and I have my good friend John Dykes coming on to our virtual podcasting studio this rainy afternoon right here in Singapore. This uh, sports broadcaster was famous in this part of the world. He hosts the John Dykes Show on Fox Sports Asia. He was previously lead anchor for the Premier League content service available to international broadcast partners. And he made his name firstly in Asia after working for almost a decade as host of ESPN Star Sports coverage of the English Premier League and European football. He's now a familiar face worldwide and anchored the Africa-wide coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, Wayne. Thank you very much. You are right. It is pouring here in Singapore. Kind of appropriate, you know. We're, we're fixated on the uh, Premier League opening weekend, so we got some nice rain. I just think it sets the scene well for us. Most definitely, I think uh, it's uh, gonna be a really exciting season once again. I think we all have this a huge hangover after Euro 2020, right? I am sure that uh, you know you are embracing the uh, the great progress of the England team as well uh, when it uh, made all the way to the final. But unfortunately, they lost uh, to Italy, who are a really great team, by the way. So, uh, how was your busy your entire experience of uh, Euro 2020? Do you enjoy every single moment watching it on telly or making you know content about it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting uh, on, on two two levels. Let's deal with the football side of things first. Um, I um, I think like a lot of us um, born born in Britain people. Who've spent the whole of their lives or most of their lives overseas? I I feel a bit kind of hypocritical if I get too hyper patriotic. So I'm not kind of you know rah rah, and I detest that thing about coming home. I'm sorry, I just I, I like the song, um, but I just don't like the sentiment. I think it just kind of reinforces that arrogance thing. Just look at what Casper Schmeichel had to say and what Chiellini and company had to say about it. So I don't I don't like that stuff. Um, but I do like Gareth Southgate. He's someone who I, I've worked with. Uh, I, I was in touch with Gareth during the course of the tournament. Uh, I know his number two, Steve Holland, really well uh, from his time at Chelsea when we were neighbours actually for a while. So I really follow their, inter- uh, their their progress with the England team with a lot of interest. And uh, I was so impressed by what they did because um, you know it's difficult tournament to play in. I think the, the the English got a major advantage in that they got to play at home just about all of the time, whereas the logistics made it so hard for other teams. Um, But I think what they did was they uh, came up with some really good solutions to problems in individual matches. The way Chop didn't bow in the face of critics or the public, or you know this clamour for Grealish to be playing all the time. Um, the only problem was they they got all the way to the final. They got stronger and stronger, and then it just. You know, the thing about this, and you're absolutely right. Italy were magnificent, and I think Roberto Mancini's work is is. I wouldn't say it's underrated. I think people know in the game know how good he is. But this team has just gone on this run forever, you know, uh, 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 running into this tournament, reinventing themselves, taking themselves from nowhere really to to being what they are right now. And they they had so much uh, ambition. You know, all these stupid stereotypes about Italian football being, you know, Cantonaccio and defensive, you know, they, they're long left behind because this was a team that played on the front foot, a team that played well, that took control of games, found solutions in Chiesa. They had a real superstar. I love the way he plays. And, and I think the thing that was interesting about the final, Wayne, was that England scored too early. Now, I know it sounds like a dumb thing to say, you know, but we've seen it down the years. We've seen it at uh, Euro 96. We've seen it in a World Cup. The problem with England sides is there's this innate, you know, nature 
in which it's this kind of English sort of conservatism, isn't it? In, in what you do is you go, oh, right, okay, well, as much as we want to keep going forward, we'll, 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 we'll you know, it's, it's human nature to just sit back and be a bit conservative. And playing the formation they did with those wingbacks who actually generated the goal, there was always going to be a problem. If they didn't stay on the front foot and pen the Italians in, the Italians would, would get control, particularly of midfield. So even though Harry Kane was dropping deep all the time and trying to help out, it was never going to be sustainable. So the Italians got control of the game. England got into a kind of defensive mentality. And then the key thing for me was throughout the tournament, England showed that they could really stay steady and solid in a game, and then they could impact it with the substitutes. But unfortunately, it went the other way because Gareth was making substitutions from a, from a kind of defensive position. So they weren't able to come on and, and provide the impact he wanted, whereas the Italians grew into the game. You knew they were going to score, you know, at some time in the 90s. I knew they did. And then, of course, the players that they, they had come on, like Bernadeschi and company, they did brilliantly. So, so they really played well. But I was frustrated because England could have been better. And, and, and whether or not Gareth was right to play with those wingbacks, I'm still not sure. I just felt that if they'd maintained control of the game and then thrown on, you know, thrown on the impact players, maybe that's the way England could have won it. Um, the other side of it is, is a media side of things, but I'll let you get a word in here, Wayne. Very insightful as usual, John. And I love, you know, how you riffed about uh, the tournament that has actually been more than, I think, a uh, month old already. And uh, it seems that it just happened yesterday, right? And we're still talking about the final. But yeah. today, we're not going to be talking yeah. about final. But of course, you know, Chiesa is one of the players that I would love to watch again and again and again. But unfortunately, yeah. he wasn't uh, signed, uh, you know, uh, for Liverpool, even though he was linked to Liverpool at one point. But of course, you know, Liverpool... My favorite club, of course, uh, they have uh, actually signed very few players during this uh, season. And um, perhaps there will be more you know, development in that area in the weeks to come before the window closed. But today, we are inviting you to come onto the show to talk about one very important topic, which is basically your predictions on the season ahead, uh, which has already started last night with Arsenal losing 2-0 to Brentford. Surprise, surprise. And uh, you know, let's maybe start off by uh, doing this segment called Here We Go. Your season predictions for 2021-22. Tell us, as is traditional, tell me who will win the league. Oh, here we go. Throw me that one. You know me well enough to know that my whole career has been based around me, by and large, asking questions and remaining in a position of neutrality. Um, but yeah, for the last few years, I've been hosting my own show and I've had to be more opinionated and, and, and I do occasionally stick my head above the parapets and what have you. But, you know, I, when, it, when it comes to things like this, I've done so many Premier League seasons and I've done so many things where people say, right, OK, you've got to tell us uh, one, two, three and four. Who's going to be 18, 19 and 20? Who's this, that and the other? And I sort of sit there and I think to myself, why? I mean, I don't actually support any of the clubs involved. I, um, I don't gamble. Um, so, you know, for me, it doesn't really matter. But I tell you what I do like, Wayne, and I've always done this, particularly as a broadcaster, is I like to sit here and say to myself, what would be the most compelling narrative? You know, as, uh, as I host pre-shows, as I host magazine content, as the, as the season spins on and, and pay, plays out, what would be a really compelling narrative? So I think to answer your question, I think what would be really compelling is if Manchester City didn't win it. Yeah, they're the favourites, or just about the favourites. I think maybe joint favourites with Chelsea. That's the way I see it. But if they get their hands on Harry Kane, then they are definitely the favourites to win it. So I think what I might do is I might say, yeah, 
let's let's argue that maybe Manchester City, who aren't ready for the start of the season, don't get me wrong. I, I just I just think they're they're undercooked at the moment. They've got key players, notably the Bruno, who aren't ready to start the season. Um, Grealish is going to take a while to bet in. I'm fascinated to see what exactly it is that Pep Guardiola thinks he can make of Grealish. Uh, I'm really excited about what he can turn him into. But I think that's going to be a work in progress. Uh, you might argue that they don't get off to a, a great start. I mean, Spurs, Spurs, that's another story for later. But Spurs could turn them over. You know, Spurs could could beat them yesterday. You know, Man City started badly last season. Terrible start. They still cantered to the title. So they're favorites. But I think Chelsea winning it would be really interesting for me. I think um, Tuchel uh, is demonstrating everything he touches turns to gold. Just look at his substitution in the Super Cup the other night uh, in, in, in uh, uh, Mondi and his defense. He's got a fantastic, uh, solid foundation. Lukaku in there is, is just going to score tons of goals. And, of course, you know, it's a solid sack. So, so I think Chelsea, uh, if City don't win it, Chelsea would have to be the next favourites, I think. So let's let's put them down for that. But I think what makes this season really compelling, I know you're waiting for me to say Liverpool, is that Manchester United, yeah, Manchester United have put it out there. They've made the signings in Sancho and Vran. They've given Solskjaer the contract. They have absolutely laid it out. We have to win the league this year. That is the minimum requirement, and, and it, it's going to it's going to work one or two ways. One way is that, that that what they've done, this urgency, drives them to the title. Because make no mistake, with Varane and Maguire at the back, with Shaw, you know, in the form he's in, if they can fix up a couple of things in midfield, maybe if Van der Beek finally grows into the role, um, with Sancho being, a, I think he's going to be fantastic. He's a superb player, underrated, I think, in certain quarters. They've got what it could take to win the Premier League, and then there's Liverpool who are going to do it the way Liverpool like to do it, I think. that they, you know, Klopp's already saying, hey, look, these other guys are buying. You know, we're just going to have to be the best we can be. We can only buy if we move players on. Konate's come in, but I don't think he's a first choice. I think Konate's there you know, as, as a kind of a reinforcement in, in that, that sort of central defence uh, makeup. You know, I, I, he's going to have to do it with what he's got, with the inclusion of Harvey Elliott, who I think is really exciting. Really exciting player, just what Liverpool need, that, that link, really, that talented ball-carrying link from midfield to attack. Jota will, of course, break up the established front three, so I think that's going to be a continuation. And you can never write Klopp and Liverpool off because I just think, you know, he is so inspirational. They have so much talent, particularly in Salah with Van, uh, Van Dijk back in the side. So four teams for you. But I think the compelling narratives would be if either Chelsea or Manchester United got themselves in the hunt and gave themselves a chance to win it rather than City or Liverpool, who we've seen win it in recent times. So that for me is the one. Maybe Chelsea, maybe United would be a, a bit of drama. But... This know. seems to be the common narrative, right? Everyone is predicting, you know, Man City is not going to win it because I think it's super boring to actually see them win Premier League again. And many are going for Chelsea because they are slightly less dull. So I think you belong to that school. And uh, definitely my heart disagrees, you know. I think Liverpool is still going to be up there. And I think that Minamino well, and Salah is going to have phenomenal season. <laughs> yeah. I think they'll be up there, Wayne. It's just a question of, you know, if they've got if they've got enough to get there. Um, I, I think I, I, City aren't bo boring. Don't get me wrong. I, I think City are man magnificent, and I think when they play really well, I, yeah, I, I honestly think it's it's as good as anything that you'll see. It's just Chelsea would be a bit different. I mean, listen, Man United would be a better story, quite frankly, because they've had such a struggle, haven't they, in recent seasons in terms of the Premier League being competitive. So that that would be a story.
Liverpool fans out there disagree. But of course, you know, uh, you mentioned about the boring part. It's definitely boring to predict Man City. So, so let's move on to the next question. How about the rest of the top four in order? And I think this is the part that nobody ever gets, right? So I'm going to put no. you in the corner. Tell us the rest of the top four in order. I, you can ask me to do it, but as long as you don't, you know, make too much of it. Because the thing about this, right, is if if I was to do this, if I was to say at the end of the season, somebody is going to hear and they're going to judge me on this, judge me on this, right? And, and for, for, there's going to be some kind of a punishment if I don't get this right. I would say Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United. But because I've just said what I've said, right, then I have to sort of flick Man City out of the equation. Then I probably go Chelsea. Man City, and then Liverpool and Man United. No, I'll go Man United and Liverpool, right? But the other school of thought is, and I've been a lot of my friends have had to do this recently because they've they've done what I've done and they've said, oh, not City. I've seen a bunch of people have to put City then fourth, and then you do that and you go, hang on a minute, how does that happen? So, so I think you know there are two things. There's the if my life depended on it, the first choice, because we're having fun, I'll stick City down in fourth. I'll have. Liverpool in third, and I'll have United second and Chelsea first. I have City in fourth as well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if that if that comes if that comes about, we are in for an amazing season. <laughs> Give us your three picks for relegation, please. Uh listen, Brentford at top of the table. Brentford top of the table. Okay, I'm only joking. It's one game, and, and I expected them to beat Arsenal. I'm sorry, Arsenal have got all kinds of problems. Notably, just look at the team they put out last night. But I think defensively, uh, they were. They were second best. Um, I, I was just chatting with some uh, Arsenal fans right now. They, a lot of them are going on about you know Leno being fouled in, in the build-up to that second goal where the throw was allowed to bounce in the six-yard box. I think really, even if you think it was a foul, and I think it doesn't always get given. You know, I think that kind of contact happens all the time. I think uh, he was bullied a bit, and, and, and either he or his defence needed to sort that problem out. Um, but it could have been given. But that's not the point. The point of the game is they were outplayed by Brentford. Brentford will do that to teams this year. Brentford will survive, I think. They're good enough to. Um, Norwich have got a bit about them in that when they when they are allowed to play, they can be really good fun. And if Todd Campwell is fit, I know he's a doubt for the Liverpool game, he makes a huge difference to them. The loss of Wendier is a big problem for them, but they have got a lot. Um, there's a guy called Lise Moore I saw the other night playing, who I think is really nice going forward. So they've got a bit about them. They might play enough football if someone else is bad enough to get out of the bottom three. Uh, Watford, I think, as solid as they might have looked last season, I think they don't have quite enough quality for the Premier League. So I'm going to put Watford in as one. All right, so I have Watford in as one. I'm going to go with a kind of blindly optimistic, don't put Norwich in there. Let's see if they can stay up this time and have some fun, uh, which means you've got to then pick two of the incumbents who might struggle. And when I'm looking at the sides that I like, I, I, I fear a bit for Southampton. I think losing Danny Ings was just a body blow for them and losing their, maybe their best central defender to Leicester as well is going to be a huge problem for them. So I think Southampton could struggle this year. I think um, it might be... It, it might be Brighton or Burnley's turn. To, to Not Crystal well. Palace. I've got, well, Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace have freshened things up. I think Vieira is going to be an interesting pick, and a lot of people think he might be the first manager to get booted. Um, I, so my three would be Watford, Southampton, and Brighton. Mm, okay. 
I do agree with you. And Burnley somewhere around about there. I think they could struggle this year. Yeah. And I also agree with you that I think Brentford will be comfortable. And uh, Villa, I think many people are placing that as favors for relegation just because of the Jack. Uh, Grealish, uh, you know, uh, post-Grealish uh, factor, I think they will actually thrive. No, got, Villa, yeah. Yeah, Villa are going to be the West Ham. Villa, Villa are going to be, Villa have got the potential. The thing about that, uh, Wayne, is obviously, you know, Grealish goes, and, and everyone fixated initially on his immediate replacements. Okay, Ings, great piece of business. Bailey, good player like him. Wendia, sensational piece of business. If you look at the stats from last time Norwich were in the Premier League, right? They got relegated. They were pretty miserable. But his chance creation stats were right up there. And he had a stellar season in the championship. So he's fantastic. But the thing about Villa is that they augment a team that I already really liked. Um, Martinez, he, he led Fantasy Premier League by 26 points wow. from Edison last season. 26 points, best goalkeeper out there. You've got uh, Conso, who I think is a really outstanding defender. Target and Cash, really, really good players. John McGinn, he'll step up in, in Grealish's absence, I think. I think I think they're a really solid outfit, um, and there are more. And then you add those guys I mentioned in terms of the signings to Sevilla. So, yeah, they, they look to me like the side best placed um, to sort of do a Leeds, but even better, maybe do a West Ham, get up there on the fringes of the top six and be in that kind of conversation. Now tell us, who will win the Golden Boot? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming uh, thick and fast, by the way. I have more questions lined up. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be either... I would say it will be either Lukaku mm-hmm. or Salah. A hundred percent Salah has to be part of the equation. I'm not sure where Harry Kane's at right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will be Salah, but you know, obviously my, my predictions don't matter. You're the expert, but I agree with you, you know, that like Salah will, will be top two, if not winning this outright. Which new signing will have the greatest positive impact? Mm, I think Sancho might be the one. Uh, Sancho is a, an amazing player in terms of his contribution, uh, goal scoring and assisting. We didn't see a lot of him at the uh, Euros. I spoke about Gareth Southgate earlier on in the one game when he played him, he did exactly what he can do. He, he runs in behind, he shows such great energy. And I really think it was a shame that he wasn't able to, to, to come on and do that in, you know, in, in a solid, you know, with the solid foundation in the final, that would, that would have been very special. Um, but I think he will, be just what Manchester United need. I think he will create so much. He will score a good number of goals because remember they haven't gone out right now and bought that marquee centre forward. They've you know they've continued with Cavani. Rashford's out for a couple of months. Um, I think Fernandez will will chip in as usual from midfield. So I think Sancho will will step in there. I think he's going to be a really important player. And and he is he's so good. There was this really strange narrative when when the move didn't go through last year to Manchester United. A lot of people sort of just ignored him because Haaland rose at Dortmund. Haaland became the story. And the English press just switched off. They were just like, all right, there are other people to focus on now. And they started talking about Grealish and, you know, going into the Euros. It was Grealish, Grealish, Grealish. And don't get me wrong, he's a, he's a fine player and all that. But, but, but suddenly Sancho must have been thinking, hang on a minute. And, and sure enough, United get him for 73 million. And it looks like, to my mind, 73 million well spent. So I'm going to go with Sancho. I totally agree. I, I, even though I hate to say this, I think that Jaden Sancho United haven't had a decent right winger for a long time, right? And they've now got one of the world's best in that position. Uh, that leads to the next question. Which one will turn out to be a massive flop? 
it's the, as you know, this is not the kind of area I like to go into too much because uh, I, I can't see any great positives in this apart from getting some clicks and, and, and headlines and what have you. Uh, flop. Let's define flop, shall we? I think Ben White's, um, through no fault of his own, um, gonna gonna have a lot of pressure on him because, you know, when you buy English, you end up paying inflated prices. And you know, when the Ben White situation is interesting because the minute that he cost fifty million pounds, right? The minute that happened for a player who'd played prior to this season, had played thirty-six Premier League games, right? The minute he cost fifty million. Daniel Levy took notice of that and he went, okay, well, if, if someone like him is 50 million, then Harry's got to be 150 um, because that's the inflated market that you deal with with English players. I think White's actually quite a solid defender. I think he's somebody who could grow. But the problem is, I don't know if Arsenal's the club at which he can grow because, you know, he got given a tough time by Evan Tony last night. Uh, he hasn't got a really solid, um, you know, if he went into a team and worked alongside someone like Ruben Diaz, as John Stones has been able to do, you know, he could really grow, I think. But the problem he's got is he's going to be working from a position of insecurity. So I hate to label anyone a flop, but I think if there's if there's a big money signing who's going to find it hard this season, I think it'll be him. Yeah, I think uh, one of my previous podcast guests, uh, who's basically the scout uh, who scouted him, Ben White, uh, of course, uh, before he joined uh, Brighton and then uh, to Arsenal, right? Yeah. I think he would disagree, but who will be the biggest bloody bargain? Villas... Business has been good. I think Buendia could turn out to be a really, um, mm. a, a really good signing, but he was not that, not that cheap. And you know, Danny Ings for thirty million. I think it could turn out to be very good business. But I, I'm very loath to call you know a thirty million pound player a, a, a bargain. I tell you the player that I would be really interested in, and I think Leicester spent again quite a bit of money on him. But Patson Dacca. Have you seen much of Dacca? Because he is. Right, this this guy. If you go go and have a little look at some of the goals he scored for um, for Salzburg, uh, for, he's part of the you know the red the Red Bull family, right? Um, this guy, I think Jamie Vardy is going to be waning. I just think physically, you know, eventually it's it's catching up with him. This guy runs in behind, and when you give him a sniff of goal, bang bang, it it goes in the corners, a bit like Robbie Fowler used to do. Just 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 a natural finisher, just full of confidence, great athlete. Um, I think Patson Dacca could turn out to be someone that 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 maybe surprises people, if only because a lot of people haven't seen much of him. Yeah, agree. And uh, I think there's another player at the top of my mind, uh, Damari Gray. I think he was uh, he transferred to Everton for peanuts, right? That's that's a really good player in there, don't you think? Yeah, that was a weird one, wasn't it? Like one point five million or, or peanuts, yeah, less than two million. <laughs> Incredible, yeah, something like that. Damari Gray was always interesting to me. I mean, you know, when I think back to that Leicester side, um, I always thought, you know, the one that won the league, right? I thought that he was naturally then going to just come through and be a, you know, a big part of the team. And it never really happened. And he looked to me like a kind of an impact player. And that's how they used him. He came on, he's got the skills and everything like that, but just never really kicked on. And then, of course, you know, left England, comes back in with a lot to prove. Uh, and I think what's going to be interesting about that is he's coming into a club that are going to struggle to settle, I think, at the start of this season. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough uh, for him, uh, to be honest with you. And, and I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to flourish. Yeah, uh, I just Google. It's actually for the sum of 1.7 million pounds. That is surely a snip. I think yeah. a couple of seasons back, he could have easily moved from Leicester for like 40 million pounds and over. So who will be named yeah. the PFA Player of the Year? Oh, <laughs> okay. PFA. Well, the PFA is interesting because, of course, they always go for a story, don't they? You know, they, 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 
when it, it's always interesting. I think there, there's, there's this funny thing going on in the world of football now, right? There's, there's different ways of consuming football. There's the kind of journalistic, traditional way of doing it, editorialized way in which the PFA goes to somebody whose contribution to football as a whole is recognized. And then you have the sort of uh, 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 Penaldo, Pessi, fanboy nonsense out there whose whole perception of football is based around the Ballon d'Or and, you know, like goat arguments and all that clickbait crap right um and the funny thing about them is they always get up in arms about any award i grew up never giving a damn about awards football's a team game right so the generation that i was in i couldn't even tell you who who won the ballon d'or i didn't know it i couldn't tell you about anything like that and then suddenly you know because of social media and because of fanboys and fangirls and this whole kind of new way of consuming football it it, it developed you know some interest but I was always interested in the PFA award because they kind of recognize someone who contributed beyond just, you know, stats, you know, goals and assists and what have you, or even Instagram followers. So th they go for a story. So if you're asking me to go for PFA, again, you're asking me for what the narrative would be. So I think what would be interesting there is if, for example, Van Dijk came back and Liverpool won the league and he had a, you know, a great season, someone like that could turn out to be the winner because they broke the mold, didn't they, by going for, for, for Diaz. You don't often get defenders picked. Um, yeah, there are so many angles. You know, what if what if what if Harry Kane does get his move and, and scores forty goals? You know, I mean, what if he stays and scores a ton of goals? You know, that could be really interesting. But if you're going to go on who wins the league and what the performances are, I mean, if Chelsea are to win the league, as I keep saying, then Lukaku would have to have a look in because I think if they do win the league, he will be highly instrumental in that. So let, let's throw him in there. Yeah, I think uh, Harry Kane uh, likely to be the best player in the division again, uh, but well, somehow it'll be overlooked uh, if he joins uh, City, right, and just become another cock in the relentless City machine. Oh, no, he, he wouldn't be that, no. If, if he joins City, you know, I, I think there's something I'll take issue with you there. I, if he joins City, he could be a 40 to 50 goal a season striker in all competitions. Because remember when he did that interview with Gary Neville and he said, you know, I want to get up to Ronaldo and Messi levels. And he meant it seriously. You know, he's not the sort of guy who banters about stuff like that, Harry. Um, and I think he recognized that perhaps the only way he could do that is if he joined this team that had just so much in the way of, you know, assisting capacity for him, that he could just, you know, do a Lewandowski, shall we say, and really hit those big numbers. That would be the parallel. I, I don't think you could draw the Messi-Ronaldo golden era parallel. I'd say more like a Lewandowski, you know, get those big 40-plus numbers. First manager to leave the uh, Premier League job. I think earlier on he mentioned about Patrick Vieira is one of the favorites, right? In your opinion, who would be the first manager to leave? Um, I, I, yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, again, this is this is probably even more hateful than having to predict it's going to be a flop. You know, I, I imagine in any other walk of life, if you said, hey, I'm going to predict which CEO is going to get sacked. You know, that's, not, that's, that's really terrible. Nice, it's horrible. It? Yeah. You know? yeah, horrible thing to do. Um, but I think, again, we could tie it to a team's fortunes. I think... Do we trust in the process at Arsenal? <laughs> you know, I think the problems at Arsenal go so so deep, or should I say so high, uh, that it's not always the thought of who's in charge managing the side. But, you know, their next two games are against Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, you know, if, if they go into the international break in the relegation zone, if they don't turn things around after that, then suddenly what happens is you get this noise, don't you? You get this noise around a football club and, and, and that could lead to problems for Mikel Arteta. Uh, I think what is more likely is that if one of the teams that we suggested might struggle, and, and, and I don't think Norwich or, or you know, Watford are a sacking club, 
So you always have to suggest that they will sack the first manager, you know, because, you know, no one survives Watford. So, so, so you park them a little bit and then you look at uh, Norwich. And I think, you know, whatever happens to Norwich, they'll show faith in, in, in the guy. He's, he's tremendous, right? I think whatever happens at Brentford, and I, and I think they'll do fine anyway. I think, I think, I think Thomas Frank's fine. So, so you look maybe at if there's a disastrous start for Palace, Vieira, if there's a disastrous start for uh, Southampton, or if there's a disastrous start for Brighton or Burnley, maybe. I doubt, doubt Sean Dyche would go, but so, yeah, I, I don't think, I think, I think I'll give you a name. I mean, I, I just think manager of one of those clubs could be the first to go. Totally agree with you. It's never a thrill to predict uh, which manager to leave first, but no, uh, you mentioned no, no. about no. a disaster happening to one of those clubs you mentioned, uh, Southampton, right? I think if they complete the 9-0 trilogy, right, uh, Ralph Hassan Hutter will definitely leave, yeah? <laughs> so this is definitely going to be... He survived 9-0s, mate. <laughs> a couple of 9 nils. yeah. I thought the one would be incredible. Pick the Champions League winner. Oh. <laughs> But of course, you know what I, I'm expected to say here. Someone said to me the other day, they said, uh, if PSG don't win the Champions League, it will be a disgrace. <laughs> what a load of nonsense. I think one of the biggest problems is this. If you if you say our holy grail or, or, or our number one overriding ambition is to win something, I couldn't think of anything tougher than the Champions League. Because the thing about, just ask Manchester City, right? The thing about the Champions League is... You could, as they did last season, arrive in such fantastic shape at the end of the season with everybody flying, with just the team clicking and functioning, everything like that. And it only takes one bad day. You know, not necessarily the final. It could happen in a semi-final. It could be one of the legs somewhere or other. You just need to have one bad day, and that's the Champions League gone. So there have been some really good teams that haven't won the Champions League. And then there have been some teams that are okay, but they just rise to the occasion. Real Madrid had a habit of doing that. You know, they had serial Champions League final winners and the likes of Ronaldo and, and, and Ramos, didn't they? So you, you've got to look for the club that I think has got the potential to sort of just cruise along and then get the job done in the final. I think it would be great to say PSG because PSG, if they were to win it, presumably along the way, they would do some bloody amazing things <laughs> because if they were playing well and those guys were clicking, that would be quite remarkable. Um, but I think I'll do this. If I'm not going to let Premier League go the way of Man City, I'll give them the Champions League this year. City to win the Champions League. Wow. I think, uh, PSG for me, because it's like, if not now, never. <laughs> but then again, you know, uh, stranger things have happened, especially in the Champions League, right? So that leads to the last question. We have just surpassed 30 of minute mark. I don't want to hold you the whole entire afternoon because there's more Premier League action to enjoy later on. Tell us in five words, tell us what you are most excited about this season. The fans being back. It's four. <laughs> The bloody fans being <laughs> that comes yeah, as five. But... The atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the bloody. I'll give you like look. The the thing about it is, is you know, I I work for the Premier League or or, or either directly or in broadcasters that were partnering with the Premier League for so many years. And down the years, so many people asked me what it is that made the league so successful. And of course, there are a number of factors about it. But I always felt that it was just the the, the sheer euphoria and exuberance and the quality and the loud, um, you know, sound and the color and everything surrounding the, um, the, the the Premier League broadcast, which of course was a result of the the, the Premier League match day experience. And I, I just think that's 
that's huge. And we've experienced it already in a, in a really amazing occasion at Brentford's new stadium. And it's just going to keep going. I mean, just listen out for Old Trafford because that United leads, that's going to be noisy. You know, oh, yeah. and it's not the only one this weekend. But I think, that, I think that's what I'm looking forward to most. And the football is finally back in a proper way. Uh, my five words is a proper bloody title race. I think that's what everyone who is a football lover, you know, they really want to see. It doesn't really matter sometimes whether your most hated team or your, your most favorite team wins, yeah. right? We just want to see a race that's going to be sustainable and it's going to go right down to the last few seconds of a, of a game. Well, we spoke about that though, didn't we? I think, you know, we laid that out, those four teams that I spoke about. I think we're in for a special season, yeah. Fantastic. Before we let you go, uh, do you have uh, another three minutes to do a rapid fire round? Yeah, sure. Okay, go on. So the rules are pretty simple. You must give really short and pithy response. Maximum of one or two sentences. Are you ready? Uh, yep. Let's go. What are your proudest life moments? Um, marrying an amazing woman, having two uh, truly incredible um, daughters. Uh, that would be one of them being blessed to be chosen to host international coverage of uh, the world's most popular football league. And the last one on a purely personal level uh, would be purely selfishly um, winning a gold medal in a Spartan race at the age of 55, which I think was 30, let me think, that would have been something like 37 years after my previous gold medal, which I think was one running a 400 meter Hong Kong schools race. So that, that, that putting success is, is, is something that, that I think uh, I, I'm quite excited about. That's amazing, my friend. If I could complete even a Spartan race without winning a medal, I'll be properly proud, you know? Oh, so it's incredible. Age group, age group goal. <laughs> I should stress age group goal. Age group, okay? all right. CPF category. Still an incredible life moment. What do you want doing less of in 2021? I want to be doing less um, enforced home-based work. I, I, like, I like getting out and working in offices and studios and, and meeting people and, and being out and about. Uh, so a little bit less of, the, um, of this stuff. You know, I don't mean the broadcast stuff. I mean just the sort of sitting here doing, doing Zoom calls and stuff. I'm looking at my LinkedIn news feed, right? I'm so jealous of people who are attending or heading for Stanford Bridge or Anfield tonight. I wish I could be attending a game uh, at Anfield. Yeah. But of course, these are things that we all aspire to have, uh, you know, in the future. Get, yeah. get along to the Singapore Premier League. I did that the other night and I really enjoyed it. I got out to Jurong East and I watched um, Lion City Sailors against Alberic. You know, the crowds are back in. They're you know, going to be getting back up to 500 and beyond. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think getting out to watch football is the key. And, and you know, whether it be grassroots football, local football, go for that. That's a great idea. I always wanted to catch Lion City Sailors in action. So you just gave me a great suggestion. Next one. What do you want doing more of in 2021? I, I think I'd like to be able to spend a little bit more time um, with my wife um, on the evenings. You know, I, I, I work quite a lot of evenings and, um, you know, she's, she's, she's brilliant. She waits for me. Um, but yeah, maybe just just having a few a few dinners together and and uh, you know we're going to be empty nesters fairly soon well we, we got one of our daughters overseas at, at, at college and the other one's going to be going uh early next year i think so uh yeah i think i think a bit of quality us time would be really nice um i'd like to be doing all those outdoor things you spoke about you know i just i i think it'd be really nice to be just getting outside and, and doing stuff 
Um, and on a professional level, uh, it would be good, I think, to be doing something that, that gives back to, to, to the community. You know, if I, 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 you know, I want to try and ratchet up a little bit more of, of giving back into my sort of uh, portfolio. That's fantastic to hear. The next one is a slightly morbid, but it's just for fun. What would you like, uh, what would you want written or carved on your tombstone? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's, that's. You know, Jürgen Klopp's answer, answer for that question was a nice guy, right? So I what would you be I your answer? You, yeah. How about, how about one of those, how about one of those sort of things where you use like a, a cheesy line that I use? I think, you know, thanks for watching. So some, you know, something like that. One of one of the lines that I just used to death. I don't know if I can say hello and welcome because that's not appropriate on on, on that. But, but I think maybe thanks for watching or something like that. I, I don't know. I like that one. Your advice for TV broadcasters, sports broadcasters, or journalists? Well, the industry is changing enormously right now. So I think what's interesting is you, you know, the the, the pathways. Presumably, people are asking for advice on how they can do it are, are different. But I think the key to this one is um, when everyone sort of comes to me and says to me, "All right, I think the most important thing is that first and foremost, I'm a fan or I'm a sports nut or whatever." I go, "Mm-hmm, that's nice." First and foremost, you've got to be a damn good broadcaster or a journalist. Be that at the same time. Be you know your sports fan and indulge that and what have you. But but work hard at your craft. Work hard at your trade. Listen to advice, and and recognize the opportunities when they come along. That's that's the key to it. Don't feel entitled that you should be in a position because you know everything in a sports quiz. Don't feel resentful. How come that person gets it and I don't get it? Because that doesn't help you in any way whatsoever. Uh, be the best you can be. Uh, listen to advice and recognize the people and the opportunities that will give you a chance to, to be what you want to be. That's super spot on. Any future ambitions or side projects in the pipeline? Yeah, I listen, I was, I was kind of talking. I, all my life I've loved playing sport. I, I really have done. And um you know, I, I wasn't just joking about the Spartan race thing. I, I a few many years ago, I suffered a really serious knee injury. I wasn't never much of a of a football player, but I suffered a really bad knee injury and and and, and had my knee rebuilt and it reoccurred some years later. So, um, I, I don't get to play football or, or tennis or anything like that anymore because it's just too too risky. Um, but a few years back, I started training hard with my friend John Wilkinson, ex-Singapore international and a guy who works on my show. And he, he runs a really nice little uh, boutique gym. So I started training with him and I found it really, really exciting to do that. And he's the guy that got me fit enough to go and compete in Spartan races. Um, and we do a lot of challenges. And, and you know, I, I really... I like the fact that I've now taken that into my life. I find it helps me to, to, in my, in my work life, if, if, if I'm as fit as I can be, if I know I can take on a grueling physical challenge and complete it, then I can handle anything in everyday life. It's good for the way you feel about yourself. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm just like setting myself challenges. So for example, it could be something like learning how to do a muscle up or something like that, you know, working on stuff, you know, when I'll be 57 soon, you know, and if I can do a muscle up at 57, I'll, I think that's a pretty good achievement. So I think just little, little, you know, micro physical challenges like that. They're cool. It's a really timely reminder because uh, I really agree with you. That once you have soft health or fitness, right, you can take on any challenge or projects. Yes. How can yeah. people reach you? Know you? That, you know that full well. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> How can people reach you? I am on Twitter at uh, John Dykes FC. 
my uh, personal Instagram is John M. Dykes, M for mother, that's John M. Dykes. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn. I quite I quite like using LinkedIn. I've been networking a lot lately. There's a lot of change going on in my industry and my personal life. So it's a good time for me to be talking to clients and, and potential clients and, and all sorts of people. Um, and for stuff on me, uh, there is actually a website out there, uh, which is uh, John Dykes uh, uh, dot online, uh, which contains some of my work, uh, a CV and things like that. So if you want to find out more about me, that's where you go. Fantastic. And uh, before we let you go, uh, any uh, last words or message to our listeners or viewers who are watching this live on LinkedIn or everywhere else? Um, I, my last message would be um, if you enjoy uh, football of any kind as much as I do, uh, enjoy this weekend. I think it's going to be sensational. Um, if anyone is watching this who is is struggling with um, what's happening in, in pandemic life, um, I feel for you. Um, uh, keep going, get yourself vaccinated, and, um, and and just do what you can to get through this. And, and know that there are, uh, are so many people who've who've gone through this and who are coming out the other end. Um, and, and, and let's all just hope that we can help each other in any way we can and, uh, and put this behind us. Thank you so much, John, for joining us today. To learn more about our special guest, check out our podcast show notes. We'll put your URL and your Twitter handle in our show notes as well. You've been listening to Sports Gaming Live Podcast presented by Podfest Asia. This episode is hosted and produced by me, Wayne Chong. And today I have John Dykes who contributed to the success of this taping of this podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching or listening. Bye-bye. See ya.